Hello, hello, and welcome to all. It's the Critical Geeks coming in your drinking hall. Uh, welcome, Ryan. Uh, I'm in a kind of mood of Warhammer, hence the drinking hall reference, because we've been discussing with friends and setting up a Warhammer fantasy roleplay game, have we not? We have. Um, I didn't realise we were starting with this. I feel like I should go get an ale just so I'm somewhat in character. Ah, yes. like the <laughs> And a drink in the forges of old. Um, yes, we are very much uh, looking forward to a Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. Uh, by the way, welcome. My name is Neil Dealey, and this is Ryan Perra of Game Hype. We are Critical Geeks, and today we're going to discuss, uh, I don't know, whatever comes to our heads, hence the terrible intro uh, and instant <laughs> excitement into Warhammer. So we're big Warhammer fans. I'm more of the old school, old world fantasy. Ryan, you like a bit of everything? Yeah, I mean, if you give me a choice, I'll pick the old world every time, but I'm not against 40k. I don't mind Age of Sigma. I like a lot of the box games nowadays just because, you know, time like Blood Bowl, War Cry, Kill Team. It's just a smaller commitment in both cost, time, and, you know, well, space. Yeah, Warhammer's obscenely expensive, really expensive hobby. And you wonder why, you know, the computer gamers exist, like Space Marine on the 360 and PC and PS3. That was a, that was a fucking great game. Uh, it was awesome. You know, you have a console, it's only, what, 30 quid, 40 quid? And you can batter people as a space marine. That's great. Um, yeah, you're more of a tabletop Warhammer guy. I, I would probably join you if I could pre-buy an army, have it painted off the internet, which is probably a big no-no in the Warhammer world. Yeah, I imagine there's lots of purists that would be, like, shaking their heads, like, like some kind of old long beard, like, no, tradition. But if you don't enjoy the creative aspects of the hobby, you know, building and painting why do it just hire, that's what commission painters are for just hire someone to paint your army for you and then play with what you've got yeah uh, i mean why would i try to paint it myself for all that time and effort or i could just pay a little bit of money which is let's be honest i could probably pay the amount of money i would probably end up spending in the amount of times i would repaint it or do it over and you know and just have it done that's it finished like never have to do it again i mean i'm not a great painter uh, my skills have definitely suffered in that yards away from the hobby um but it's rewarding like when you've painted army yourself i remember once me and lee were going to a tournament tournament at warhammer world and i was up till 4 a.m the night before finishing off painting some storm vermin and when you yeah (laughs) oh i had like two weeks notice but i was just kept procrastinating and not doing it (laughs) like Um, a schoolboy doing do you ever do your homework (laughs) the night before (laughs) well because i'm not good at painting i find it a chore to do but it's an essential part of the hobby i suppose uh, so I was like, oh, I better paint these. And I was up painting the eyes on some storm vermin at like 4 a.m. Uh, but when we got to Warhammer World um, and I put them on the table and, you know, there were all these people from all around the country that had turned up to Nottingham and put them down. It looked cool having a fully painted force. It wasn't very many points. I think it was 1,000 points each, um, which, you know, still a lot of scaven. Yeah. But it looked cool. You know, it, it felt rewarding to be like, bam, there's my army. And from start to finish, I built and painted this and I played with it. Um, I don't think we did very well. I know we won our first battle, but we accidentally ended up playing someone from our team. It's like an interstore competition. So our first victory was actually a victory and a loss for our side. So oh. it counts as different. <laughs> that was a very scathing <laughs> thing to do as well, wasn't it? Um, yeah, at least it fit character. I can't yeah. remember what Lee had. Did Lee have, I think Lee took vampires. I can't remember. But yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I understand all people, but that aspect of how he puts people off. But it's one of those things, the more you do it, the better you get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the Warhammer lore rather than the Warhammer classic tabletop, I guess. And the game's fantastic. But, I mean, if you've not if you're not read into Warhammer, the tabletop is like the cliche product that everyone sees. Oh, you're rolling dice and moving little figures on a board, making the noises when the cannons go off. But the books are brilliant and the computer games are brilliant. I think the computer games do a really good job of showing off the scale and war and the violence that can happen in these Worlds, but the books are probably. I mean, the book to me, the, the Warhammer books are the the peak of the the franchise. They're absolutely fantastic, um, dark fantasy because the Warhammer books aren't nice. No one in the Warhammer worlds are nice at all. Yeah, I mean, no one, no one's nice. It's it, you've definitely got like the the good and evil in fantasy. Like Forty K definitely has the the monopoly on there are no good guys. Um, there, there's there aren't. I mean, the closest you've got to good guys would be, I guess, the Tyranids. Because they're just they're murderous, horrible things, but at least that's their nature. There's no kind of malicious will there, I suppose. Uh, maybe the Tau, but then they're essentially just the British Empire of join us or die. So I guess you wouldn't really call them the good guys either. 
Whereas in Warhammer, you know, you've got the forces of chaos and then order. And I guess you consider order the good guys, not nice guys, but still good guys. Yeah, other than uh, some zealous witch hunters burning you with a stake because you said something wrong. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the thing. Like, they're, they're technically good because they're not evil, but they're not nice. And they're only nice in like the grand scale of things. Like the Empire Army would be considered a good faction, but Empire people, nope. Bastardy, bastardy, horrible people. Yeah, it's good cliche fantasy that is also incredibly original at the same time. Like you've got dwarves. The dwarves are dwindling numbers. They hide behind their walls. They like drinking. They like gold, which is very cliche. But the dwarves in the Warhammer would have something called the Book of Grudges, Ryan, which, as we know, is basically any petty grievance of any kind or war or malicious acts, they'll put you in the Book of Grudges. So let's say your great-grandfather robbed them blind or ran away from a battle you would be expected 200 years later to pay for that grudge, even though you didn't have anything to do with it. It wasn't with you. Um, do you know that in the Warhammer World, there's a, the, the mountains have been put in the Book of Grudges as well by dwarves? It didn't shock me. Dwarves are stupid folk. Uh, obviously, I'm a Skaven player, so I, I'm in the Book of Grudges many times, according to our friendly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for all the, all the trouble I've caused them. Yeah, there was um, a there was a quote on like one of the Total Warhammer 2 loading screens, which is um, the dwarves talking about a mountain that had a landslide, and they've wrote down a grudge against the mountain, and only would the grudge be marked off and like every material or or, or gem has been mined from the mountain. And I was like, don't you do that anyway? It's, it's kind of like counterproductive as grudges go just seems like you it seems like you were doing that one as just an excuse lads but rather than maybe it was a slow grudge day like, like when it's a slow news day and they're like in other news puppies were born in a park like maybe that's the dwarf version of that that's that's the like, oh there's no green skins around there's no ratkin no annoying humans no chaos oh uh, there was a mudslide cool put the mountain in it's fine that's a grudgeon so yeah, talking of, uh, talking of dwarves, I've chosen a dwarf for fantasy roleplay. Now, fantasy roleplay is basically Dungeons & Dragons, uh, Dungeons & Dragons in the Warhammer world. Um, so yeah, for a bit classic. of, I guess, perspective, if D&D were Lord of the Rings, Warhammer fantasy roleplay would be Game of Thrones. It, it, it's dark, grimy, adult. It, it, yeah, it's, it's fantasy, but with a definite grim twist isn't it yeah they, you don't really have um, magical quests of uh, magic I guess in Warhammer and if there are they usually just involves mostly everyone being murdered at the end of it um, or yeah I think the crucial thing is that other people. you don't choose an alignment like in D&D you're one of the many different variations you know, chaotic neutral good evil whatever um, in Warhammer you're just you and if you want to be a prick and murder people, you can be. If you want to be nice and heroic, you can be. If you want to be somewhere in between, like there isn't an alignment. There's just you and your interests. Yeah, like Dungeons and Dragons is known for because we had a bit of an argument on this. Like Dungeons and Dragons is known for its giant barbarians and amazing wizards and sexy elves with bows, and they're all kind of like they're heroic heroes. And it's like you're this is a gargoyle. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's like you're. No one knows who you are, but you're already a hero and you're making yourself a name, like the Baldur's Gate games, where you said in like you've we've discussed in Warhammer, the classes are just villager and you know, librarian and rat catcher and a lot of quite pathetic like town guard. A lot of quite pathetic stuff, which as you've said before, you're meant to be the everyman. I don't see it that see way. It I just see them as being a bit pathetic and I don't really see how they can become badass heroes in the end of it. But like you said, that's the story, that's the whole point. Yeah, I mean, you've got stuff like, I guess the issue is that the classes have to be somewhat generic. Like, you can be a, a soldier, but it doesn't distinguish what type of soldier. So there's no reason you couldn't be a handgunner or a white lion or whatever, really. Um, but the, the rulebook has to give you a generic title, I suppose. I mean, what class have you chosen? Uh, I'm a dwarven merchant. Okay. I'm a halfling rat catcher. So we're definitely from very different backgrounds. Well, I think I think for dwarves it's fine because they're all they all pick up an axe in the in in war. Like every single dwarf will go off to war. Basically, there's no like civilian dwarves. They're all hard ass warriors at heart. So I guess I can swing that my way. But that's a very dwarf. That's very in the dwarven nature. So, but the merchant will tie into my character's backstory. You know, I'm excited to see your reaction when you'll see the backstory. I think you'll be pleasantly, pleasantly surprised. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, in the 
current climate, we can't meet up and play. We cannot. Um, but, you know, we, we try it online, see how that goes. Yeah, I, don't, I, I mean, what are we doing? Are we doing video calls or just audio? I, I think video might be too complicated. We don't really need the video unless we're watching um, one, one video, you know, with the board and things. I don't know what GM Chris has cooked up. I don't know if he's going to have a kind of WebEx-based system where we can share his screen um, and we can set like a map and then we just kind of tell him what we're doing as we go. To me, that would make the most sense because you, you can see, everyone sees the same thing and then we don't really need to be able to see each other. We can just, you know, talk and... I mean, I'm a halfling, so I'll be drinking most of the time and stuff from my face, which, you know, almost isn't roleplay. Is, <laughs> is that you or the character? <laughs> so it should, should be fun. I mean, last time we played this, uh, I played as a wood elf and you were a human. So I always pick, I mean, with the exception of the Skaven, and they're obviously unique to the Warhammer world, any fantasy system, I always pick wood elf. I always go straight to wood elf because I like them. Um, with 40k, 40k, with... Warhammer, I picked the Skaven because they were so unique and interesting and I'd never seen anything like them before. But while there is a potential for playing as evil characters in this, because it's Christie's first time gem and we all decided, let's not try and be evil characters. Let's, you know, learn the system properly first. So I thought, oh, no, I'll pick Halfling. Um, and in what might be seen as heresy to some purist uh, tabletop gamers, rather than using physical dice to roll my character, I let Siri do it. Hang on, where are my dice? Do you remember I bought two golden golden dice to use in theme of my character? Where are they? I mean, if I were in character, they'd probably be in my pocket because halflings have a habit of borrowing without asking. Um, right. And get very confused that other species get <laughs> upset. Like, I don't know why it's upset I took the wheelbarrow. I'm just using it for a week. Yeah, like the background, I'm finished. Maybe but they don't really understand crumbs. property laws. Yeah. Maybe, but, maybe uh, yeah, you can shake food and how many crumbs fall off. That's what your dice roll is because that would be very halfling-like. It would, to be fair. I mean, yeah, Warhammer, point, yes. Warhammer halflings are kind of very um, niche, almost mythical in their actual nature in the real world, in the sense that like you never see them in the tabletop and you don't really see them in the books, really. They're kind of just one of the things that do exist. Um, but they're basically the only system, Lord of the Rings, aren't they? They are. They're, they're hobbits with a weirdly mischievous comedic twist to them. Um, so I like Blood Bowl, um, which is the kind of alternate universe to the old world and it's basically American football with ultra-violent rules the only system uh, Warhammer do with their own systems that have halflings in it is Blood Bowl and the team in that are called the Greenland Grasshuggers I think um, and their story is that they once had a, ga- a game against the humans and the humans were so violent that every time anyone came near them the halflings just lay on their belly and gripped onto the grass and said please don't come near me hence the name Grasshuggers because wow, that's I all they not, did for- I would not bet any money on that team <laughs> No, but they're ridiculous. <laughs> like the, I bought the Spike magazine, um, which is essentially like a pretend magazine in the world, which I need to show you at some point, because there's an article in it called Chat with the Rat. And it is a scaven, like, blood, yeah, it's a scaven, the Borobor, that just interviews players and just talks about stuff. And it's made me sad that I haven't been buying Spike magazine since it started, because it's hilarious. Um, there was an interview with one of the players, um, and he was like a half-time performer, and he does ferreting, where he just puts a ferret down his trousers and sees how long he can keep it down there for. And there's all sorts of weird fluff about how the halflings are continually late for games because breakfast hadn't finished. And like, Brilliant. There, was a, there was apparently like a big championship in the moot where the halflings kind of homeland is in the just in the Empire. And the game took a weekend because after every single drive, they stopped for a snack. Okay. <laughs> they're just ridiculous but uh, they're the only game that I think currently have halflings in it which is the bowl um, I would love I would love a fantasy army of halflings um, but it's not going to happen well mostly because fantasy is still more Tetris Sigma yeah still. I mean there's, there's um, it, it exists in the lore you know you've got like halflings um, mounted on giant chickens riding into battle god bless them I'm sure they served the empire well but they probably didn't last long in a cavalry charge did they no, I mean, if you look at the Blood Bowl models, one has a squirrel on his shoulders and its tail's going across his face like a moustache. Um, one just has a sheep in his trousers. Or a lamb. Yeah, one just has a lamb poking on top of his short. Okay. <laughs> like, but that's the kind of tone that... Blood Bowl's ridiculous anyway. It's it's a very light-hearted game and like kind of universe. But the halflings are like the epitome of that. They're just nonsense. 
Uh, I was telling Chris earlier, who that, said he's going to make up this character. Sorry, that bang you just heard, Ryan, is um, my cat attempting to scale my bookshelf. Yeah. See. At least she's not sleeping on your Xbox like she normally does. No, she does sleep on my Xbox. Um, you keep talking about Warhammer. I'm going to remove her from the room because this is <laughs> this is going to get messy when she starts scaling and breaking things. Well, I was saying that I was telling Chris about reading Spike Magazine, our, our GM, about how it was entertaining me, and that one of the halfling characters in it, who was the guest editor of the issue, was called Butty Bacon Fingers. And Chris was like, right, he's going in the game. So apparently at some point, we're going to meet Butty Bacon Fingers now. Um, there's a, was it, Mindy Pie Whistle, and all, all the halflings are both hilarious. They're this kind of weirdly, almost uniquely British sense of humour twist on Tolkien's Hobbits. Which is funny because obviously they're British too. Um, but yeah, so I'm looking forward to being a halfling. Even though, thanks to Siri, I'm a three foot two ginger halfling with copper eyes. I'm back. I was hearing all that. Yes. Um, so when you, in fantasy roleplay, you roll for your character's stats, um, or you can just choose what you want and you get less XP. But you decided to roll and let the dices of the gods choose for you. Well, I picked my species and my class because. You know, it's a character I'm going to be playing for X amount of time, unless they die immediately. I've been playing them for months. So I didn't want to be like a a human peddler. Uh, I have no interest in that. Uh, so I thought I'll be a hard thing to be funny, and it's a big departure from being a wood elf. Uh, and then I was going to be a bounty hunter, but when I looked at the way their bounty hunter talent tree works in the career paths, it just didn't seem very halflingy. So I thought I'll be a rat catcher instead, because that way I'm going to talk about the Skaven, which, you know, are a myth that really exists. Um, but I let Siri roll everything else about my character, all my stats, um, my characteristics, all the physical attributes. Uh, I let Siri do and regretted it because she made me three foot two in ginger. Like, not that I expected to be tall as a halfling. Um, but yeah, the fact that I was basically almost as short as it's possible to be and ginger. And when it rolled ginger, I was like, I'm never going to hear the end of this from the group. I might re-roll, but I couldn't do it. I didn't have the heart to, to you know, go against the dice Look. gods. Look, that's Siri, your character. In this instance. That's your character. Play your character. If you're <coughs> well, really I mean, a short, <laughs> fat, constantly hungry, snacking ginger halfling who probably can't read and write and doesn't understand what's going on all the best of times because they live in the mute, um, go for it. I mean, I wouldn't say I was fat. I would say I was stout. Right, like a barrel, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I funny you should say that because my uh, my halfling surname is Cascraft, um, which you ever pronounce like that? <laughs> we Cascraft the entire time, but yeah. but I think you know it's a nice ale-based name for my halfling to have. Yeah, my character is a dwarf merchant. I haven't told you or anyone much about it because I think there'll be a nice surprise when we finally start playing uh, in about less than a week. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just Dwarf Merchant is probably all I'll say right, right now than in terms of characters. Because when we first played, I was a human female thief with a long backstory linking Bretonia, and I wrote it all out, and I told every single one of you about her character traits and personality and backstory, and you chastised me for it because, well, you said that the whole point is to learn as you go in character. Well, yeah, because if, if I know some of your characters' like motivations and backstory... If Ryan knows it, I then have to try and pretend that my character doesn't know it. But then that may affect what I do in-game. Whereas, for, you could have, for instance, emptied my pockets one night while I slept and disappeared. That would have been a nice, shocking moment to experience in-game. Whereas, if I know that that's a potential thing that's going to happen anyway, if that does happen in-game, I'm going to go, oh, well, of course. I already knew she was, you know, a deceitful, light-fingered little sod. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, but some backstory is fine. But for the most part, I'll be like, we'll let it come out in-character because that's well, that's how I think it should work. But I don't know. I mean, I've only ever played one of a tabletop system, and that's Star Wars Edge of the Empire. Um, and your background didn't really come into that. You had some motivation, like kind of long-term motivation, but your kind of character background wasn't particularly prevalent. It has a very nice dice system. Uh, but, yeah, the backgrounds aren't really a thing, and I don't know how much they're a thing in D&D, whereas your motivation and your goals and your backstory in Warhammer roleplay are huge. They play a huge part in what's going on. So it'd be nice to learn that as we unfold rather than, you know, having a dossier at the start of each session. Yeah, it just seems to me more of a character focus. Because, again, if you know anything about Warhammer, like peasants and normal people do not have a nice life. If they're not murdered by people, 
or monsters. They're captured and tortured in, you know, demonic cults for sacrifices or enslaved. Um, or they die of disease or then script the army where they're then killed by giant monsters and other armies, even civil wars and things. Um, you know, like the Warhammer is very much a grand giant wars and he, the heroes and people within it rather than just, you know, the soldiers. It's not a band of brothers. It's a, you know, it's a, here's the hero and here's the baddie and he's, there's lots of death in between, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of brilliant warriors will be murdered every battle and they won't have a name in Warhammer because they're just, they'll just be no, complete nobodies in terms of the story. So it's interesting that Warhammer does go down that choice of, you know, oh, I want to be a, uh, a high elf Phoenix guard, which is you know, the elite, elite guard of the high elves. You know, they're like an absolute elite infantry unit. You know, you're just, you'll just be high elf bloke. Or you know, high elf cook. Um, it's very interesting. So I, I, that's why I was. That's why I guess we argued over it because I was. I found it surprising and interesting that Warhammer of all the franchises would go down that path. But then, like you said, there's no reason why you can't just go. Okay, we're going to do a campaign where you are involved in some giant grand quest that would you know save the world, and Carl Franz himself will give you a medal at the end, like at the end of Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's entirely. I mean, the GM can take the game where he wants to wants to take it. Um, I quite like the the kind of humble beginnings thing because a lot of the best Black Library novels aren't about particularly grand characters for the most part. They're, the characters that are there don't have these giant world-changing story arcs with the exception of probably Gotrek. Um, for the most part, the characters just exist in the world they're in and happen to be in it, like Malice Darkblade. And when we look at Thrancroft, everyone likes Thrancroft, as they should, because he's the best. Yeah, he's um, the best. But in impact on the old world, he's had almost none. But his books and stories are some of the best. Um, he's absolutely hilarious. He's entertaining. I mean, he was initially in the Gotcha and Phoenix books and then had his own trilogy spin out of it. And he's, you know, much beloved by Warhammer fans, especially Skaven players, naturally. Um, but he is just one rat amongst billions. Um, so I quite like the idea that I'm one halfling out of millions but I could go on to really noble ideas. You know, I could, I could become a hero of the moot that generations of halflings talk about for, for eons. Noble and famous in halfling guys. You'll still be nothing in everyone else's. But that's why I like the idea. I like the idea that like, no one knows who I am and all the glory went to the witch hunter and the dwarves. But in the mute, there's all in there. Like, I can imagine like halfling children in into arguments. He wasn't ginger. Yeah, he were. My great, 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 great gaffer said he were. He wasn't ginger. <laughs> he were ginger. And I just like to have these arguments about my character. And he then, could, you know, the, five sausage rolls in one go. No, he could yeah. eat ten. This wide-eyed halfling goes to, goes to Outdorf and he's like, oh, I'm in the museum. Where's the bit on Elbus Cascraft? And the, the curator's like, who? <laughs> He cooked. He cooked for which one? What's his face? <laughs> just no one knows. But he could be a hero in his own people's eyes. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, as, as, um, so as a few of us playing, um, has our friend Phil picked a character yet? Do you know? Uh, at the moment, I think he's planning on being a high, no, a wood elf entertainer. Wood elf entertainer. Okay, I'm not sure that would work, but they are, I guess. The wood elves well, are completely what... isolationists, aren't they? So we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, Phil's never played any tabletop game before. Oh, sorry, tabletop roleplay game. He's played all the tabletop games, pretty much. Um, but Phil was saying he's not sure, and he's not sure how it's going to go. And I said, well, that's the nice thing about Warhammer roleplay, is that it's not always battle, battle, battle. And that's one of the things that you and I got a disagreement about. It, it makes sense to have some of these, what seem initially like strange classes, because it's not D&D. You're not going to spend, you know, it's not focused on raiding a dungeon and constantly being in combat and I bet there are D&D fans out there and they're going actually in the 4th edition expansion of this you did element yeah I know there's probably more to that and the GM can say it right once but I mean the the first expansion to 4th edition for Fantasy World Players called Rough Days Hard Nights and one of the the scenarios in there is you've got to sneak into a kind of high flute in high society noble party and uncover some information now yes that sounded brilliant because uh, to cut you off the, like my character in the first session we had I said earlier she was a thief, which she she wasn't. She was imagine uh, a Catwoman slash Ocean's Eleven character. She's beautiful and suave, and basically out for herself, her own means, purely for money. But she's probably got a nice heart of gold. But she's more like a schemer, um, a plotter. You know, she'll see an opportunity when she gets one to pull the wool over someone's eyes or pretend to be someone to get in money's way. I mean, 
she'd marry rich and scheme rich basically she wouldn't pick pockets but that's yeah, she's more of a kind artist yeah, than an out and yeah. right you know pickpocket um but yeah so i said to phil if if we enter a situation where we need that kind of role playing it feels sorted you know bammy can you know there's no no noble fancy party in the world is going to refuse a wood elf entertainer you're going to but yes come right in just having a word up at your party is probably enough of a buzz in you know the empire to make you popular for a what, while what i like as well is that if you think about how the empire the, the the nobles and the people of the empire are they probably wouldn't believe it was a wood elf they're probably like oh um lord uh Carison has got a, a wood elf entertainer how droll oh, oh, oh. actually telling them it's a real wood elf they probably wouldn't believe you that they even exist but like the fanciness of it would be enough to um to get him in the party yes, Plus, so, let's be know, honest Ryan, we've got a wood elf Two dwarves, a halfling, and a witch hunter. No one's inviting us to a party. No one's going to tell us to bring their own bottle. We're not getting in, are we? We've got two grumpy, beardy dwarves, a short, fat, ginger halfling who probably doesn't know what the door is, and a witch hunter who probably stab everyone in the face when he walks through the door. Well, this is the I was chatting to Phil about. I was like, right, so Phil walks straight in because it's the entertainment, no problem. I could probably black my way into the kitchen as a cook because halflings are famous in the old world for being really good cooks and making a great meal of anything. So I could probably sneak in for the servant's entrance and I'd be like, I'm cooking, governor, and be fine. Uh, your character's a dwarven merchant, so maybe you'd get an invitation out of, well, he's got some cash, so we, you know, we'll have him here. Uh, Lee's a minor, so I have no idea where he'd get in, so he's staying outside. And no one... No one in their right mind is inviting a witch hunter to a party. <laughs> Bloody mood, mood <laughs> killer right there. You know, <laughs> you know like, no, no, no disrespect intended, but that's like inviting a Quaker to a piss-up. Like, yeah. what, what would you want him there? You'd make a joke about, oh, I swear to God, if business doesn't pick up, I'm going to swear my soul to zitch. Hey, and then you'd be like, hey, my say, just kill the mood, wouldn't it? Boy, Sigma, this, these sandwiches are nice. I'm like, that's a heretical Sigma you're talking about. This voice we're both doing now is purely based on Arthur Daniels being a human witch hunter, and he's only being a human witch hunter because you've been playing the Vermintide computer games, uh, which if you haven't played, are fantastic. They're basically Warhammer clones of Left 4 Dead, um, but the witch hunter that has a horrible, perfectly acted, hideous voice. I don't even have to explain it. It's, you almost need to hear it, but well, it's led we- to us all just. What we do randomly is, working on have a care. Yeah, what you, what Ryan and I have done there. This voice is like this, is, and it goes up. Is, it sounds like a Dalek. Is basically exactly what the guy sounds like in the game. He's so <laughs> so annoying, um, but he stands out as a character. It, he does. I mean, there, there have been times where he's like mid speech, like ah, oh, what else? I'm surprised you're here. And I've watched the gutter when I jump off the ledge, and I'm like, I'm not going to shoot him. I'm going to wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, okay. Oh, good stuff. But I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. It should be good. Um, I'm, Chris is very excited. He's never done any kind of gemming before, so he's very excited. Um, yeah, yeah, so I've been la- I've been liking him to read the rule book. I found a series on YouTube. Uh, what are they called? Oh, that's a nightmare. I can't remember the channel now. But they've basically done like a rule breakdown and broke the whole thing down into like 16, 15 minute long videos where it's literally like making your character, how combat works, how tests work, how advantage works. Um, and I'm like, Christian, you need to watch these because they explain everything perfectly. Um, so yeah, hopefully it should be good if Chris gets just his own work and we get a nice good session in, which is Tuesday? I think it's, it's in my calendar somewhere. Third, I think it's a Thursday. I don't know, it's in my calendar, so I'll get a notification from Siri, who I'm still not talking to, for making me three foot two and ginger. <laughs> if it was 40k, at least you could argue that, because 40k is a science fiction. Do you know what? If you don't know about Warhammer, you would have turned off five, uh, 25 minutes ago, so this is fine. But if, if it was 40k, which is the sci fi space version of Warhammer, um, you would could argue that Siri was, you know, working against you or not with the machine gods. So. Yeah, I mean, I see there is a 40k tabletop game that's run by Cubicle 7. Um, someone else had it initially. It's called Wrath and Glory, and Cubicle 7, they went bankrupt or lost the rights or something, and then Cubicle 7 took over, and they've kind of rewritten the rule book a bit. Um, I'd happily play that as well. Um, at one point, I was going to, I've got the starter set for it. I was going to do some GMing. But out of the, the core group of us, the only really 40k fans in it are myself and Lee. Everyone else is fantasy all the way. Wouldn't 40k have to be constant war and combat? Because this, every time you look at 40k and read about it and the games, blah, 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 and you're going to immediately jump on here. 
it's just giant battles constantly. They don't seem to hear or read a lot about just the lore or the world itself or the nature of the races. It's just entire planet being smoked to death by, you know, this race and this race and this race fighting. Like, I've never heard of any sort of general lore when, when reading and looking at the Warhammer 40k stuff. Uh, most of the main 40k narrative is pretty much told through humanity's eyes and there's the Horus Heresy um, and that kind of stuff, which is really, really interesting and really, really good. Um, but it, it is basically all war. I mean, the, the tagline for the game, you know, is the grim darkness of the 41st millennium. There was only war. And that's kind of the point. Right. But stop, because stop, stop, of stop. that... Hang on, stop. Say that again in the proper voice. Because you know how it's supposed to be said. I do know how to find in the grim darkness of the 41st millennium. There is only war. war. Is that burning? Yeah, it is. It, yeah. It, you know, it, yeah. It's great. Like You want like proper Shakespearean British stage actors to just set, read the book to you, just so it sounds better. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, but for, for that role-play game, all of the classes are immediately kind of what you had in mind. So you've got like Battle Sister, Space Marine, Guardsman, Inquisitor, but um, you know, essentially a witch hunter, but in 40k. So there are a lot more heroic immediately well i say heroic i mean no one's heroic in 40k because they're all bastards but the, the characters and classes are really actiony to begin with because there is only war uh, short of maybe necromunda i can't imagine a, a 40k setting where you'd be able to have the kind of interest in sneaking to a fancy party type thing and even in necromunda you'd be like well how, what's a how's a ganger gonna get into a noble house like it wouldn't really work they'd, they'd um, shoot everyone that's how they're getting yeah, I mean, again, I like all the settings. I'm a big Necromunda fan, and we've started playing that uh, with Phil. Uh, it's very cool. But I don't think it, it doesn't have the variety. I don't think that you get in the old world where you've got scope for different types of stories. Yeah, yeah. Again, all the sort of fantasy tropes in Warhammer are still cliche, but interesting, the ones that they do have. Um, the High Elves have got this snooty nobility, but they're bastards as well. The Wood Elves... I've got way more interesting elements to them than just, oh, elves in the woods with bows, you know, trees come alive, which is, yeah, okay, they do, but there's more interest into that. The dwarves are great, the slayers are great, the Book of Grudges is funny, um, just a funny add-on to it. And then when you get the more unique stuff like lizard men and, and your favourite race, and probably, do you know what, probably my favourite race in the books is the Skaven because they just have so much personality to read. Yes, yes. Um, they're just fantastic. Um yeah, it's, it's funny how like Warhammer's seen as that tabletop game that people roll dice for and it's nerdy and they paint the little figurines. And But the the books and the stories that can be told are just so entertaining, so good compared to um, a lot of other fantasy, really. Yeah, I, I think it's the this unique blendness, blend, blendness, blend of kind of darkness and humour that the Black Library and Warhammer World does really well, um, where you have got the Skaven murdering an entire city full of people but then that's kind of interjected with i mean there's one scene from i think it's the first franco book where he takes over a party um and starts torturing humans and the other humans get upset at that happening and he can't understand why like i think at one point he starts like threatening a woman and this like man thing he gets really upset and franco can't work out why this human's upset that he's threatening what he calls a breeder because women in scam society aren't really to <laughs> think um, that's giant bloated, you know, breeding machines. But it's just, it's the way it's written. And it's just, Franco just cannot understand it. He's absolutely puzzled. It's like, why does it, it's almost like he starts stabbing people just to see if anyone else reacts. <laughs> He's just like, have I heard this? Did they, why are they freaking out? I'm not stabbing them. I don't understand. <laughs> and that's what makes the scamming stuff. So with certain books, anyway, because I remember reading one book, I think it was one of the dwarf books, because I've got the sort of trilogy collections so there's three or four or five books in some of them but one of the dwarf books it, it goes to the skaven and they talk like humans and they don't act like skaven look at one point the skaven pushes another skaven out the way as a beam falls onto him and i was like no 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 the skaven would have let the beam fall onto him and then stab him in the back of the head just to be sure and then claim whatever leadership or rights or money you know, or Warpstone, what that Skaven has. They will happily stab each other in the back at literally any and every opportunity. Yeah, and it, it would have been an accident. It would have been, hang on, you're not in charge. I am. A pillar fell on him and he's dead now. Okay, I'm in charge. And then, like, you know, yeah. like the, there's a quote from, not, I think it might be fourth edition, and it says, Skaven society is a tyranny moderated by assassination. Yes, yes, that appeared <laughs> re- that appeared yesterday on the t- on the loading screen of the Total Warhammer. Um, I was like, that's brilliant. <laughs> It just perfectly sums it up. Um, we're we're not a group 
for for complimenting each other very often. Um, but one thing I'll, I'll always always be you know, be a bit I guess of a humble brag for was Daniel was reading a Warhammer book and we were all chatting at an Xbox party and he was like, "This book's annoying me," and I'm like, "Why?" And he's like, "The Skaven dialogue's crap." He's like, "They don't sound like Skaven." He was like, "For Christ's sake, Ryan, can you if I tell you what the Skaven are saying, can you just say it properly?" He was like, according to Daniel, I should write all Skaven dialogue for the Black <laughs> Library, which I'd quite like to do, just because, I mean, I've been playing Skaven for what? When did we start? 16? Yeah. 15, 16 years at this point? And I, I love the Skaven. And yeah, I'm always, when we're having battles, putting on little Skaven voices and making them say things and occasionally write bits of fiction that Games Workshop haven't got back to me about publishing yet, but, you know, hopefully. Um, well, I'm sure yeah, so, I'll, tag them, I'll tag them on Twitter for this podcast and they'll have no choice then. Why not? We'll just uh, make a little social media ground as well. Being like, publish man thing, yes, yes. <laughs> but that, that's one of the things that always annoys me about Skaven because I know the book you're talking about and it's about the Black Plague um, from like, the Time My Legends books. And no, 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 I don't, no, I don't think it is. It was specifically a dwarf. I'm pretty sure it was a dwarf book. Uh, oh, okay. No, no, no. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was Rising the Gash, because at the end of Rising the Gash, he takes over. Um, oh God, I don't remember. It's a bad memory. He takes over like a, a an area, a castle or something, and it's having this giant fight between the undead and the Skaven. And there's a part where it just follows the Skaven. But in the Skaven books, like you said, everything will be wrote from a, even a narrative, um, and a descriptive point of view. Everything you wrote as the Skaven. So at one point, uh, one of the Frankel books, he's like eating warpstone and his brain gets addled, like it gets hyped up with all the warpstone flowing through it. He gets really powerful and he starts talking about how he's the most powerful. Like the book he's saying, you know, Thrankel takes the warpstone and a normal book would say, Thrankel takes the warpstone and his magic increases and he grows bewilderingly out of control and delusional. But the Skaven book will go, Frank Hall is, of course, the mightiest warlord and gracier in the world. Yes, yes. No one could possibly, possibly ever contain his power and no one could ever destroy him. They're easily going to get destroyed. It will, it will tell you the lies and the delusions that the Skavens have through their own eyes, even though it's, it's just the book doing normal descriptive. You know, I, I remember that scene because at one point, Frank Hall's imagination is like, I'm more powerful than the Great Horn Trap, which is the Skaven god. Um, and then Starlock Fear kicks in because they're a cowardly bunch. And he kind of apologises in the prayer to like the Great Horn Rat immediately. He's like, oh, crap, no, no, not more powerful than you. Don't strike me down. And it's, it's just hilarious. <laughs> there's, it's, it's in one of the early Gotcha Phoenix books where there's a claw leader walking some storm vermin through the sewers and uh, they stumble upon Gotrek and Felix, and naturally Gotrek's run straight at the frog-racky bastards, as you see them, and starts cutting him to bits. And while this... Time yes, war, I guess. This squat bit's, dwarf is brilliant. Yeah, he's hacking his way through 50, 60 uh, storm vermin because the Skaven are so convinced of their superiority. He's what this Khalid who's watching this happen, and he's like, "Oh my god!" And when the first time I read this, I was like, "He's going to be, you know, upset that the storm vermin are dying." He's not. He's so convinced that storm vermin would kill this dwarf that he's like, "Those lion bastards sold me clam rats instead of storm vermin," and he's just convinced <laughs> someone screwed yeah, him amazing. over. And at one point, <laughs> at one point, when in, when Gotrek and Felix initially charge. He says that they're so scared of the Skaven that they've run towards the Skaven so they can die faster. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then when they start like killing Skaven, he's like, oh, stupid blundering fools. They've fell over each other to get to the humans. And then when it progresses more, he's like, the humans in their fear are just wildly throwing their arms around. and decap Like he thinks that the, the humans are so mad that they're wildly flinging their arms around in fear and just happen to decapitate several Skaven at the same time before he... Like, he's like, honestly, it's not right here. There's, there's no possible way these two could be killing us. I, I love the Skaven. They're, they're so funny. I'll tell, you who, can't, can't I'll tell you who isn't fun to read in Warhammer books. Uh, that's the Lizardmen. The entire paragraphs of mathematical equations and cosmic entities. Boring. <laughs> Really boring. That was in one of the Skaven books. It would cut to like a, you know, a slant priest and how he's negotiating the mathematical mind of the universe to see what's happening. And I was like, oh, skip, skip. This is boring. It's not, it's not text. It's not dialogue. It's just, I know what it's saying, but you don't care. It's just nonsense to me. Well, I think the problem is if you've put the Skaven in a book, you've got to make sure you've got equally, because they're so funny in general when written well, you've got to make sure you've got an equally compelling, like, foil for them like so you know someone to go up against and obviously Gartrek and Felix would be the you know the, the the top tier of entertainment 
with the Skaven. But then when you get other races, especially races like the Lizardmen, you are just like, I don't care. You can't really relate to these kind of like cold-blooded savage lizards. So it's not like when at least when the humans get slaughtered or fighting the Skaven, you can at least relate to them on some kind of emotional level. But Lizardmen, you're just like, okay, you can't look cool, but you are just cold-blooded idiots that fight and they're not, they're not interesting. Um, they're probably my least favorite fantasy race in terms of their lore because they're just lizards um, that do as they're told. I mean, okay, I've, I've experienced the lizard men in one of the Thrankel books, and again, there's just the occasional hiss and click uh, in terms of their narrative. Um, on Total Warhammer 2, they're fun to play as because they have giant dinosaurs. Um, so, yeah, they're fun to play as. Lore-wise, again, they're just these incredibly intelligent, ever-knowing... Like, aren't they considered to be the ultimate good guys in the Warhammer world, really? They're considered to, like be the protectors of the actual world, even though they'd massacre everyone for the good of the world, essentially. But I guess, I mean, the old ones created them and the Slan are said to know bits of the grand plan for the universe and they're trying to uncover tablets that will help them work out the grand plan of the universe. And then essentially, as you get lower down lizard man society, you've got the Slans who are intelligent, like big fat frogs, uh, toady looking things. But then um, the majority of the lizards are, for the most part, characterless. They're just instinct and rage and violence they're cool but you're unlikely to really be able to write one or relate to one well because it is just a cold-blooded dinosaur riding another dinosaur yeah um i mean we've we've spoken for 40 minutes about warhammer now so why if i do tag this you know as a warhammer episode do you want to tell everyone about your most cowardly and yet brilliant moment as a skaven player on the tabletop Ooh, there's a few <laughs> I, I remember once uh, it was when Dan and I first started playing Warhammer and a member of staff at the Games Workshop store tapped me on the shoulder after seeing this and said that was the most scathingly thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, basically, I had two units of rats with my warlord in the front. Well, not in the front. He was at the back of one unit because that's the place of honour in Skaven society because they're cowardly. And Daniel had his Chaos Warriors. And Daniel had a banner that would like shoot magic at a unit and hurt it. And I'd worked out that if his Chaos Warriors charged my front unit of rats, my general was probably going to die. So what I did was, when the turn started, I used my general's movement to make him step out of one unit and run towards the other one so that that way Daniel's characters being big and powerful were quite slow. And I knew he didn't have enough movement to get to my second unit. So my rat basically abandoned my Skaven leader, abandoned one unit to go hide in another and just left this unit to die. And I remember Ben being like, that's the most Skaven thing we've ever seen because he just, <laughs> Daniel was like, son of a bitch. And Daniel got really annoyed because he was, you know, he's chaos and wants to die and, you know, fight in battle and kill the other you know, forces. And he, I just annoyed him that by being a, a little shit. But the um, meat shield, they're a meat shield. That's, that's a meat shield technique. Like, that's the undead would do it, the Bretonians do it, uh, the Skaven definitely do it. So it's it's completely within character and stats and lore and everything, really. He's got no reason I mean, yeah, to be annoyed. I mean, it was definitely more fluff gaming than rule gaming. It, you know, it was, uh, well, this is what the game would do. Um, but what's funny is that in later editions of Warhammer, the Games Workshop made a character called Stretch Craven Tail. And he had a special rule that was basically what I'd done like a decade earlier in Games Workshop, where his special rule was called, you wait here, I'll go get help. And you could roll a dice and whatever you roll plus <laughs> a number, he would, he would leave the unit and join another one. So you didn't have to risk him getting destroyed. Um, but I remember reading that rule and was like, was someone watching my battle? Because it was precisely what I, I'd done. Um, I tried whatever, whatever moments we had. And there's, there's plenty of fun moments with Maskaven, like stuff exploding and killing themselves. Like they always do rattling guns firing into my own unit. Um, I remember that Maskaven were undefeated in my brief time at a Games Workshop employee. And there was a guy called Yan, the Tomb King Army, and he had a really good Tomb King Army. We knew how to play them. And we were going to have a battle against my Skaven and everyone was convinced that they would finally get to see Ryan lose and the Skaven were going to get defeated because no way was Ryan Skaven going to beat Jan's Tomb Kings to the point where the shop was packed out on a like Sunday afternoon to watch this battle. Uh, and we basically, it was a claim the objective game and we'd said that whoever holds the objective at the end of the battle wins. Um, so we were doing the battle and there was a really great moment where my unit of Skaven ran a screaming bell. I had a help it abomination behind the right. There was a building in front of him. And then on the other side of that building was the Tomb King War Sphinx. And this building was in the way and stopping Yan flanking me 
without having to go through the war, the, the help it. He would have had to walk around to the help it or get himself from the help it, but didn't have enough movement to get there without me getting a charge on next turn. So I'm like, right, I'm feeling confident that my flank's protected and my help it can, you know, at least slow down this war sinks. Um, so I ring the bell. Uh, you're on the screaming bell. You roll some dice, look at the number, and then on a corresponding shot, it would tell you what happens. Yeah. At this point, <laughs> ring the bell, and it casts a spell called Crack's Core, which basically puts a line out in any direction and levels buildings. So it collapsed the building that was the only thing protecting my flank and my help it. So then Yan charges in, kills the helper in one flurry of combat, charges into a unit or something else, and there's a giant spear from everyone else in the shop. That's my helper, it's been murdered, and like, yes, Brian's going to finally lose, and they're all excited. Uh, but the helper abomination, being a helper abomination, has a rule called too, too gross to die, or it went like some of the can we be not dying, I can't remember what the exact rule is. Um, I rolled a dice, and my helper abomination immediately stood back up with all its wounds, turned round, Charged into the War Sphinx and tore its head off. Oh. <laughs> you've you've never seen as disappointed nerds in your life. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> we got into a fight, and it was my Stormvarmin and a Warlord had had possession of the objective, and they were locked in close combat with Yan's Tomb Guard and his Lord, etc. Whoever it was, and I was like, okay, battle ended, and I was like, right, that's a draw, then, isn't it? And he was like, no, you won, and I'm like, no, it's a draw because we're in combat. It's like, no, the the rule with it out was whoever has hold of the objective at the end wins and i was like granted i do have it in my possession but i'm not away scot free we're in a fight yeah contested and he yeah. was like yeah so i was happy to call it a bearing in mind that my rep as a scaven general was on the line i was happy to call it a draw because a draw isn't a loss but yan was like nope we uh we agreed they whoever had it would win and he said that if he was in that position he'd expect me to call it a win because he had it in his unit even if his unit was fighting so by that logic he wants to call it a win because that's what we'd agreed. And naturally, the customer's always right. So I was like, of course, it's a win. So I agreed to Jan's conditions and took the win. You've The shop emptied immediately. But for God's sake, we were just complaining and whinging Brilliant. That, that I'd lost, that I hadn't lost. It was fantastic. Brilliant. Because um, the Tomb Kings are very the much... Uh, the Tomb Kings are like a mixture of the Lizardmen, aren't they? They've got, they're like generic undead, but lots of big, big, big units like Necro Sphinxes and... Um, Oh, I can't remember the name. There's like these like there's like these dual wielding scythe dog guys, but I can't remember the name. And you, is it you Sharpie, Sharpie, I think they were called. You Sharpie bowmen with like the bows are like twelve foot tall or something, and they just annihilate stuff from one end of the game to the other. Um, not so, again. No, not I really, so uh, I've, I've never them. used. So, I mean, the, the issue you've got is Games Workshop. Obviously, are a company and want to make money, and you had the old world fantasy, all my fantasy battles, and you had forty k. And worldwide, 40k eclipses fantasy in its popularity. Um, has done so much since 40k appeared. Um, mostly, I think, because 40k is easier to get into. Armies are smaller and therefore less expensive. Whereas fantasy, a full-size fantasy army was, what, 3,000 points? And you're looking at hundreds, hundreds of pounds. Yeah. Whereas with 40k, you buy a 50-pound start collecting box or battle force, as they were called back then. Um and you could play, you'd have a HQ in there and some troops and you could you could actively have games with one box. Now, 50 quid is still expensive, but if you consider it to be the same cost as a computer game, you know, it, it's not that bad. Whereas if you bought a Battle Force box or a Battalion box, as it was called, for fantasy, you might get two basic units of, you know, infantry and maybe a cannon. Then you'd buy a general separately. That battle's over in 10 minutes. Like, it, it's that you need so much to get started yeah, I guess that if you walked with... into the shop you, you weren't walking out with a playable army really for less than 200 quid no I mean I guess with Warhammer 40k as well you've got loads of ridiculously giant armoured space marines with chain sword chain swords and giant guns and flamethrowers and tanks and you know like oh yeah giant, 40k looks yeah, spectacular yeah like I mean it's... I mean what you know shooters are popular aren't they in computer games so so are RPG, sure, but you, there's not many fantasy battle, well, big battle games. Like The Witcher, for example, you just bloke where, you know, you can name any number of space marine shooter games, like Halo, for example. True. Um, but because the Tomb Kings weren't selling, uh, they got squatted, which is a 40k term for they disappeared and died mm. and they stopped being made. Uh, so basically, because fantasy wasn't selling and... I, I don't know the official motivation for why Games Workshop did what they did. Um, 
But essentially, Warhammer Fantasy didn't exist anymore. Uh, the game system was destroyed, the world was destroyed in the end times event, where quite literally the world ended. Um, and the current version of Fantasy is called Age of Sigma, isn't it? And it's a good system. It wasn't when it started, it sucked when it started. Um, it's a decent game system now, with some you know revisions, and they haven't really had many additions, but they've, they've made it decent now. But it's set 10,000 years later, None of the races exist in the same form, apart from the Skaven. The Skaven are probably the least touched race, weirdly, thinking about it. The Tomb Kings don't exist, they're gone. Uh, Bretonia were wiped out in the end times, they don't exist as an army anymore. Uh, dwarves don't really exist in the way Dwarves did. Um, now you've got Fire Slayers, which are an offshoot of the Slayer Cult, and you've got Cowardron Overlords, which are like steampunky airship-using Dwarves. Yeah, but if you yeah, wanted you know, your Quarrelers and Longbeers and Iron Breakers and a traditional fantasy army, you can play that. I mean, they made a book called The Cities of Sigma, which is basically, oh, all of the old world stuff you've got that we haven't done anything new with, just put in an army and kind of use it. Um, so you can use old wood elves and certain old dark elves and old empire units that don't really exist in the game. And it, it's a nice gesture, I suppose, to players, the old school grumpy fantasy players like me, um, where it's like, okay, well, you know, you could use that stuff if you wanted to. But it, it's just a bit of a shame, really, that the old world's gone. It may be yeah. coming back with the new announcement of the old world game they're working on, but they've announced almost nothing about that so far. That's, that's yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a bit of a kick in the teeth for you to have possibly what two three armies that you can take into a shop and paint and do things with that hobby and play, and then all of a sudden, like it's like the shops had a, a makeover or gone into a different. It's a different business because you'll walk in and they'll just go, "Well, that's that's you know that's it'd be like you buying." one brand of a television and going into another brand's television shop and you go, yeah, but it's a television. And they go, but it's not our television, is it? Like you've said before, if you go into a, a games workshop with Warhammer Fantasy, they won't let you play. That's a, bit of, that's a bit of an insult and a bit of a kick in the dick to people who have spent good maybe 20 years playing and congregating around this community. And it's even worse that you go into the shop and they treat you differently. So it's... I don't know. I don't know the controversies now. The fans really felt because, like I said, most of my Warhammer experiences with computer games and books, the tabletop, I briefly did as a kid. So I, I can imagine it's probably a sore point for a lot of the, a lot of the older. It fans. is. I mean, at, at the time, I think we all. I mean, bear in mind that I've probably been playing Warhammer about a decade when this happened. The people have been playing it for twenty-five years since you know first edition. Um, I, I guess that we've had some open word. It'd be betrayed. It just kind of felt like all your years of investment and support and. Um, you know, back when geek culture wasn't popular like it is nowadays, not that I guess if you were to look at geek culture, tabletop wargaming is probably still on the very like kind of bottom of popularity uh, comparatively to just, like video games and comics. But I don't know, it almost felt like, well, we were there when you were a smaller company and we were there and kept this company going essentially for years. And now you've basically just crapped on our game system, got rid of it, made up these new rules. I mean, but the first edition of Age of Sigmar was dreadful. You didn't have. Actually, war games are balanced by points. So, you know, one unit of Scaven Slaves is worth, I don't know, say, 50 points. And then a unit of Slayers for Dwarves would be 100 points because they're twice as effective in combat, in theory, as the Scaven Slaves. So it's balanced by points. So I could have a 1,000 points, and you've got a 1,000 points, and roughly, give or take a bit, they're a balanced force, so it's a fair fight. In Age of Sigma, when it first started, you didn't have any kind of point system. People would try and make their own up and use rule like wounds as points, but that didn't make any sense because wounds just meant, you know, I could take a hundred clam rats. If you took four steam tanks, I can't even, oh, well, I can earlier because I've already my works. But it was, yeah, it was just wasn't the same. So it just felt like a bit of a betrayal. And the, the law for Age Sigmar is actually really good. And because Citadel makes such good miniatures, it was really difficult to stay out of Games Workshop. I, I mean, I didn't buy anything for a good few years and then started seeing models that looked cool and eventually made a conscious effort to look at the Age of Sigma lore. And it's pretty cool. There's some really neat stuff in there, but it doesn't compare to the old world. No, I mean, the, the, to me, you've got Warhammer 40k, but those battles are meant to be thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of soldiers like defending an entire planet, which you can't really do on a tabletop. But then, you know, when you look at a Warhammer Old World battle, you see, you know, regiments and a cavalry and it looks like an army. It looks like an army where, and 40k though, even though the numbers are small in terms of the law, it still looks like a fight. Maybe because there's guns, maybe because they've got guns. So, you know, like, it's, it's 
more interesting to look at when you've got units shooting each other and then eventually getting into melee and tanks and things. But the image that I see of War Age of Sigmar when there's maybe 20 or 30 things on a battle, I'm like, well, this is just like a skirmish. This, this doesn't look like a battle to me. It looks like a skirmish. Um, I mean, I, I didn't mind that so much. The, the thing with Age of Sigmar that I don't like compared to Warhammer Fantasy was that you had a weapon skill in Fantasy and your weapon skill would be compared to your opponent's weapon skill and give you what you need to roll to hit it. So that reflected lowly empire swordsmen fighting gigantic champion of chaos. And there was some stuff that it was borderline impossible for you to hit. Uh, and same with wound, you compare your strength to their toughness and that would be, you know, you'd be like, okay, well, their toughness is higher than your strength. So you've got to roll a five or a six to wound them. Um, so there was some stuff that you just couldn't kill. You know, a, an empire swordsman, or a high elf swordsman isn't hurting a steam tank or a giant fucking creature. It's not or a giant. It's not doing it. It can't do it because it's too crap. Um, which meant, you know, you had to make sure you had the right tool for the right job. In Age of Sigmar, all the stats are based on your role. So your weapon skill will be two plus if you're like a hero, for instance. That means you hit whatever you hit on two plus and you wound on, say, a three plus. So no matter what you're hitting, whether it's a bloke, a dragon, a demon, a giant, you wound on that same number. And that's the only thing I don't like. It doesn't represent, in, in theory, a unit of 10 Skaven are just as effective against a giant as they are against, I don't know. A man? You know, just a, a, wood, a wood elf archer. Yeah, like, it doesn't yeah. matter what you're fighting because <clears throat> what you're fighting doesn't affect how you fight. I mean, and I that's the only thing I miss. I don't play Age of Sigmar and I don't intend to. But I mean, I guess from a, if I think about it from a total Warhammer point of view, if you had a giant on the battlefield, I would try and swarm it with spearmen, knowing that the spearmen are going to do all right, but I'd shoot it with something because it's it's been caught up by the spearmen. You know, it's it's stationary, beating up this massive spearman. Or Skaven, all right, let's use a Skaven, for example. You know, you swarm something big with Skaven slaves or clan rats, knowing that something else in your army, like something with a gun, for example, is going to do the job the clan rats aren't doing, but the clan rats are there to just a meat shield and swarm around it. Um, and again, when you look at Age of Sigma and there's so little figures, I'm kind of like, well, how does that benefit the the horde mind swarming armies in any way whatsoever? Like, yeah, the idea that you could have some Skaven slaves beat up something, you might, yeah, it, it, nothing about it appeals to me. Nothing. Like, it doesn't look. I mean, we play the box games now, so Kill Team, Necromunda, Blood Bowl, Warcry, uh, because they're smaller systems and they take less time and space. But it's also because. I want to play Age of Sigmar, but because of how different it is systematically, I don't really understand. Like, I don't understand how to build a Skaven army in Age of Sigmar. I could do some research probably and look and find out. But you say Skaven army to me, I'm like, right, three units of 40 clan rats immediately, unit of 56 plague monks. I've got the stuff I would take. I know, I know what I'd have, whereas I don't know what that looks like in Age of Sigmar. Are three units of 40 clan rats? Is that a lot? I don't know. It could be, it could be nothing. It could be absolutely a lot in my head because of how small the figure count tends to be in Edge of Sigmar, I feel like 120 clam rats would be a ridiculous sight on an Edge of Sigmar field. Um, I'd be a ball like to move and all. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how to build an Edge of Sigmar very well, so I'd, I'd probably end up doing like a different army, like maybe Sylvaness, because um, they look cool. Again, there's lots of cool stuff in Edge of Sigmar. Like the Fire Slayers are cool. They're a whole cult of half-naked ginger dwarfs that run around trying to murder things like they're very mm -hmm. cool yeah i just the system the system i just i haven't even though i'm into the law the system itself hasn't really gripped me yet no well um i mean you know as a company i guess they want to move on and like you said 40k is more popular but it just seemed it seemed very odd to me that they would dump off one thing to introduce another when they could have just easily introduced another uh, I don't know if they could have kept Age of Sigma running along or kept Fantasy running alongside Sigma. Um, I understand why they did it. Um, there's a lot of people who obviously have got into the hobby through 40k, didn't know what Fantasy was, and have enjoyed Age of Sigma. So it's definitely got its fans out there. It's not like it's sat in the corner and you know, ignored like a ginger halfling. Um, it, it's <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it's certainly not, you know, I suppose it's like most things though. Like I'm sure if you were to talk to people about, you know, D&D &D players, I'm like, oh, do you enjoy doing doing? They're like, no, this edition shit. Second edition was better. Um, you've always got old, righteous people that miss something they they liked. So I guess I'm an old, grumpy fantasy player. Um, but I don't hate it. Sigma. It just isn't the same. No, no. Um, 
Well, we've been talking for an hour now about Warhammer Ryan. Anything else you want to bring up? I guess we'll keep it all Warhammer unless there's anything else on your mind. Well, there's plenty of stuff. I guess we should do more episodes, I suppose. Um, I knew we could talk about Warhammer for an hour. I didn't even tend to talk about Warhammer for an hour. We could. Um, I, mean, I haven't even mentioned Total Warhammer 3 yet. No. I mean, I could talk about this game and non-stop, to be fair. I mean, I didn't even mention Quick or the Death Master. No. And the fact that you don't own the Death Master on Total War 2. Uh, oh, pisses me off. Well, <laughs> you, could, you could happily buy me the DLC if you want, but I don't think I'd oh, use it. Don't them. tell me. It's the Death Master. I love the Death Master. <laughs> He's um, the greatest assassin in Skaven. Me and Lee, our friend Lee, who is playing a dwarven miner in the roleplay, has a Dark Elf army. And he always said that Shadowblade was a better assassin than the Deathmaster. <coughs> I think we did like, a bit of math hammery once on the rules. And technically, Shadowblade is a better assassin on the tabletop. Shadowblade? But, I don't recognise that. Dark Elf assassin. He's, oh. I mean, you know, he's a dark... Yeah. He's, he's cool. Don't get me wrong. He is cool. But I will never admit that he's better than the Deathmaster. Um, he's not a Skaven, so he can't be better than the Deathmaster. No, that obviously not. surely should just be obvious. Yeah. Um, but we, we did we, we did make them fight out one-on-one on once, and the Deathmaster did lose. But I assumed some nefarious scheme was set against him. Um, but I love that he's great. He just murders. He just murders things. But the Deathmaster's so scary that, like, the, the Night Lord, who is the boss of his clan, doesn't even actually have to send him out. Just like mentioning the Death Master is enough to get people to do what he wants. It's like, you will bow to Clan Eshin. No, I won't. Oh, well, that's best guess. I'll see if the Death Master's busy. Okay, we'll, we'll join you. Because he's the Death Master. He's that. I mean, he once <laughs> cut off a dwarf's head in a dwarven hold. He killed a dwarven king in a dwarven hold deep underground that had all these like engineers and guards and sealed doors around him. And like he, the king was in there for a weekend. And the dwarves were like, oh, the threat's passed. Let's see if the king, what the king wants. And they opened the doors that, you know, no one, no one in the universe could get through because it's dwarven engineering and it's the best. And when they go in there, the king's head is on the desk. <laughs> the rest of the king's body is in a chair. And this clanation symbol was drawn on the floor in blood because the death master had got in and done wow, his job. I, I bet there's a lot of dwarves taking the slayer over that day. Yes, yeah, there's some shame. Grudges everywhere. A lot. Oh, I yeah. couldn't move for grudges. Do you know what? Do you know what? Don't, don't mess with the Death Master. The dwarves should really get that book and get like an iPad or a cloud-based version because they'd be able to store way more grudges in there than just one book. But they would never do that because it's not tradition. Yes. That's it's what they were doomed race. Yep, that's, that's another great thing about the dwarves. Um, yeah, so um, we're going to talk... Uh, about Warhammer again, I think. We'll probably talk about Total Warhammer 3. We'll probably wait till we've had our first fancy roleplay session, maybe have discussions about how it goes. I mean, um, we were supposed to mention the Nintendo Direct, but that's going to have to be another episode now. <laughs> I mean, I don't care, but yeah, yeah, we'll talk about Nintendo Direct. Um, you, could brief, you could talk again about it next time. Uh, do it tomorrow, maybe. We'll do it another time. Um, but spoiler yeah. warning, it was <laughs> shit. <laughs> they are. You won't listen to the next one then. <laughs> right. So, if you've enjoyed us talking about Warhammer, maybe we'll talk about Warhammer more. We are big fans of Warhammer, just as we are lots of geeky things, because of course we are the critical geeks. You can find us on the iTunes podcast section. You can find us on Anchor, and we are on Twitter at critical underscore geeks. Uh, if you want to send us an email as well, it's criticalgeekspodcast at gmail.com And Ryan, where can they hear? Off yourself. Uh, you can always find my content on gamehype.co.uk. Uh, me and the rest of the team, uh, video game reviews, tabletop reviews. If it's nerdy, we review it basically. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. So, uh, thought, oh, go on, go on. I'm just curious. The bit where you tell everyone where they can find us. Yes. Given that they can only hear this if they found us. Where do you put that other than on the podcast? Is it like a trailer or an advert you occasionally tweet out or something? Because I'm just curious. It's like, you can find us here. And it's like, but I found you. I might edit this bit out. <laughs> I'm just like, they've, been, they've found us for an hour. And I'm probably sitting there thinking, these guys never get laid. And it's just... <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe they found us through one of the means and didn't know about the other several means. That's a fair point. That is a fair point. I mean, it doesn't work, does it? Like YouTube, they say, oh, like, comment, and subscribe. But like you said, if they already have clicked on this, then they would have clicked it and found it in some way. 
At least by accident. I guess. Hmm. I I'm just curious, that's all. Like, maybe, maybe we should... Yeah, we'll think, we'll think of that one. We'll, um, we'll think of a better outro, maybe. We should make an advert, like a little soundbite advert that we can just spam places. Then again, you are a critical geek and you're critical of your own product, so that makes sense. See, this shows that we were not, you know, we were impartial and we'll fairly criticise everything. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm not a fanboy in any way whatsoever about anything. <laughs> um, uh, you were talking, you know, when you were mentioning about people spending hundreds of pounds on one army, I spent hundreds of pounds on a PC to play Total Warhammer 2, so there we go. Um, yeah so i mean total warmer 3 trader came out last week so would you know what i'll talk about that in the next one i think next time we'll talk about uh total warmer 3 for a bit you can go and ah, pcs and then we'll talk about our first session of uh the fancy role play maybe try and get our gm on see if he can uh, tell us how badly we derailed every plan he tried to make. <laughs> yeah, yeah um we've got loads i don't know we've got loads of things we talk about next time uh we talk about the justice league trailer meh <laughs> You know, um, talk about the Nintendo Direct. Uh, there was a Mortal Meh. Kombat trailer out today. Not watched that yet. Have you not? No. I'm, I'm, I was going to say uh, just for the sake of it, but <laughs> Mortal Kombat. I really want. I want it to be really good. Um, well, yeah, we'll check some of those out, and whatever we check out at the time. If we happen to ramble on about it, then you know, you can check us out at Critical Geeks. Say goodbye, Ryan. Bye bye. <laughs>